Welcome to this edition of the Morrinsville Baptist Podcast. Uh, It's great to have you listening in and we hope that this message comes as a great encouragement and blessing to you. Uh, If you'd like to know any more information about Morrinsville Baptist Church, please check out our website at www.morrinsvillebaptist.com. Tom's last week preached on the first half of it. Uh, That was the parable of the of the vineyard, wasn't it, Tom? And oh, I know it was. <laughs> and um, he was talking, uh, and it was about how um, the first and the last are the same, and um, one person had only been an hour, and one person had been all day, all got paid the same by a God. So God has different standards to ours. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. But before we get into it too far, let's pray. Father, I want to bring you honour today. We want to honour your word. And I want to honour the teaching of your word. Because it is your word. Each time we open your word, we have the opportunity to come to know you closer. And to hear from you. And so we welcome you here this morning. And we ask... Just as these blind men in, in this passage asked, please have mercy on us. Please open our eyes so that we can see. In our case, Lord, please let us see what you have for us in this scripture. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there's quite a bit of stuff here, so I might just get rid of that too. Take a bit of charge. I don't know if I'll need my glasses, but I probably will. So, we've got 17 chapters, not chapters, 17 verses um, today. And I've I've tried to boil it down. Um, What's the big idea? I think the main thing is Jesus' challenge in, in verse 26. He's saying... Um, but among you it will be different. And that word different resounded with me. Are we different to the world, I think, is the main main idea that I'm asking you to consider as we go through um, these verses. Some context. Where was this set? Jesus and his disciples and pretty much the whole of the country, all the Jews, were heading to, um, to Jerusalem for Passover. So the roads would have been busy. Jesus, his disciples, family, and probably quite a lot of followers were, were all with them, um, probably heading on the road from, up from Galilee, coming down. They would have maybe stayed the night in um, Jericho before the, they've got a 24K Pretty steep climb up to Jerusalem in the, in the hills. What else? Um, but much, much of this isn't um, talking, the big group talking together. It would have been Jesus talking quietly to, um, to his closest um, companions. These events are found in Matthew and Mark and Luke. So it's quite good. We can um, look at them from different points of view. 
In fact, Luke, uh, what does it say in Luke? Luke records that Jesus says, what is about to happen is to fulfill everything that the prophets wrote about. Um, That's not in the other two. So let's start at Matthew 20, verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and then he will, they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked and flogged with a whip and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. I find that order and um, detail with which Jesus predicted the, the coming events really interesting. The, the word he puts here, he starts with the betrayal. You don't get betrayed by a stranger. He knew already that there was going to be someone close to him that betrayed him. Judas, we know now. And it was to the Jewish um, chief priests and teachers. Well, that wasn't a surprise, was it? They were his main enemy. But the fact that um, he predicted that they would condemn him to death, well, that, that was a bit of a surprise, really, because they didn't even have that power. But that's what they did. They delivered him over to the Romans who mocked him, scourged him with a whip and crucified him. And here Jesus mentions that for the first time. But on the third day he predicted he would rise from the dead. You see, even though it sounded quite unlikely, Jesus had a plan and he was in charge. He was in control of the situation. Luke also records But they understood nothing about these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. That's kind of strange to me. Why is Jesus revealing his plan? It seems like God is hiding it, though. It's almost like they're in conflict with each other, which, of course, they're not. Um, I think God was hiding it from the disciples at that time, so that they wouldn't get in the way and and prevent what Jesus' purpose was. And Jesus, well, he said a lot of these things, so that in the future, when people looked back, they could look back and say, oh, yeah, well, no, he wasn't a victim. He was the orchestrator, in fact, of all these events. He wanted them to happen so that prophecy would be fulfilled and also his purpose achieved. Right, reading on, I think we're in verse 20 now. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectively, respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my cup. I have not 
I have, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My Father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Well, that request from their mother sounds almost preposterous, doesn't it? But James and John, they weren't entirely without, um, without a cause for wondering if they could or would or even should have those honoured positions. You see, Jesus, he called them the sons of thunder, didn't he? They were two-thirds of the big three. The other um, one was Peter, his, his, um, Jesus' closest uh, companions. They were even there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And only one chapter earlier, in chapter 19, Jesus said, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, that you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Yeah, so... And you've really got to love the, compassion, the passionate conviction of these disciples. Yes, we will drink of that cup. They're willing to do whatever it takes to endure uh, the suffering for Jesus' sake. <laughs> but maybe that's because they didn't know how much suffering that Jesus could stuff into one little cup. <laughs> yeah. Where am I up to? But there's this recurring theme, isn't it? Who will be the greatest among us? They brought it up with Jesus before, and he's reprimanded them. He said, you've got to be like this little child. They know Jesus doesn't like um, them bringing it up. So James and John have a new plan. Let's get mum involved. And who was this mother? Who was the mother of the sons of Zebedee? Well, we know from Scripture her name was Salome. She's mentioned in that group of women that were watching um, at the crucifixion. Actually, she's mentioned more than once. She's mentioned in that list in Matthew, but also in Mark and John. And interestingly, if you line up those three Scriptures, you find out a little, little bit more. I think it's a fairly strong, it fairly strongly indicates that she was actually Mary's sister. So that would make James and John Jesus' cousins. So I think Auntie, Mary, no, Auntie Salome had come over to see Jesus and was using her influence and her mana to try and get her boys a promotion in Jesus' new world order, however that would look. Right, now we're carrying on and reading from verse 24. Well, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world have um, you know that the rulers of the world lorded over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But un among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be 
a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of God, no, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Other versions say they were annoyed, angry, greatly displeased is how the um, King James Version has it. What do you think that was? Was it because they didn't like the the sons of thunder bothering Jesus with their, um, their selfish request? Maybe they thought James and John hadn't done enough their share of the um, chores. Probably wasn't that. No, I think it was because they were jealous. (laughs) First they were jealous that um, James and John had got one over them. But I think even more they were jealous that they hadn't thought up that idea. That was a good one. But Jesus cut through um, all this and he saw that the same problem that was affecting James and John was affecting the disciples too. They were too like the world, too influenced by it. They wanted power, position, and influence over others. They wanted, yeah, they wanted everyone to know that they were important. But here's the changeover that I talked about at the beginning. Jesus said, but among you it will be different. So what, would, what will it look like? And who is among you? Well, obviously, in this context, he was talking about among you disciples. But I think we can broaden it out to be among you believers. The kingdom of heaven is bride the church. I think we can say he's talking about us. So among us, it will be different. Jesus said that his assessment of us is based on our servant heart how we treat one another whoever wants to be a leader among us must be a servant and whoever wants to be number one among us must become our slave a slave the lowest of the low so there is a correlation it's a sliding scale and the humbler And the more we submit ourselves to each other in service, the closer, I think he's saying, we are to God's will. Even Jesus, the Son of Man, he came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. What greater act of service was ever was there ever than Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us? And Aaron, I think um, your realization of that is, is part of your journey coming here tonight, today. Hmm. So, if we want Jesus to esteem us highly, we need to humble, be humble, and not seek recognition, but to seek to serve others. quite tricky we we talk about that a lot but it gets quite close to 
salvation by works, doesn't it? Does this mean we need to earn our salvation? No. Yes, we will be judged by Jesus as he sits on the beamer seat. That's the judgment seat of Christ. But that's for rewards, um, rewards in heaven based on what we've done on earth. It's not the great white seat of judgment. Um, it's Some people, I, th- I think, have this idea that when we get to heaven, a video of our life will be, um, will be played. And we'll be sitting there while everyone's watching, getting redder and redder and more embarrassed as the... Um, as our life is picked apart. Uh, I don't think that's what will happen at all. In fact, I don't think we're going to stand in front of the great white um, throne of judgment at all. That's mentioned in, um, in Revelation. I think that's for non-believers. Revelation, I mean, Romans 8 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you believe, you will never have to stand before God and answer for your sins. John 5 says, Jesus said, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. But at the beamer seat of Christ, the reward seat here, Jesus will get, um, will get a, here Jesus will give a reward or hold back a reward based on what you've done in, on earth. You're not saved by works. How are you saved? By grace. By grace that's right, by grace through faith. So now that you're saved, you're saved for good works, not by good works. Ephesians 2. For we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Over and over in the Bible, it says we're going to be judged by Christ for what we do. Not for salvation, but so that he can reward us for all the wonderful things we've done. I believe strongly that you get to heaven by God's free gift. But your position in heaven will depend on your faithfulness here on earth. You don't get saved solely to go to heaven, though. Yes, salvation is of prime importance, but it's not God's only purpose. I hope I'm not going, um, getting heretical here, but anyway. Otherwise, we get saved and then zapped up to heaven quickly so that nothing can go wrong. Phew, that was close. We made it. No, I don't think that's what it's like. Once we get saved, we have a lifetime, hopefully, and we should be asking ourselves, um, how can I use my time to add to my bank account in glory. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourself treasures here on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. There's lots of other ways to store up um, treasures in heaven also, 
But judging by this scripture, I'd say quite, quietly serving in the fellowship is, a, is one of the great ways to do it. So what's the Beamer seat going to be like? Well, I think there's going to be a few surprises, just like Tom talked about last week. Um, one person who only worked an hour got paid a day's wages, the same as the person who worked 12 hours. God will be incredibly generous to some. <laughs> and it may even be some among us who we haven't even noticed before. I didn't see them serving. They were never up the front pe preaching or leading or singing in the worship team. We never saw them. But I think that's the point. They serve so faithfully behind the scenes. They may, may be prayer warriors in the kitchen, cleaning, kingdom kids. They got no thanks or reward here on earth. Maybe only God noticed. I think you either get rewarded here and now or later in heaven. I think it's actually a downside to leadership, especially serving up here. At the end of the service, people will sometimes, well, very rarely, occasionally, <laughs> say to me, that was great. <laughs> that was long, but good. And for a moment, it feels great. But then I remember, oh, no, I've just lost my reward in heaven. <laughs> So if you get to heaven and you see Richard and me sitting in the back row, you'll know why. <laughs> but okay. That's how Christ wants us to relate to each other, I think. Then what's the story of the blind men about? That's the next um, part of this, the last part of the chapter. I think it might be to show us how we should relate to the world. Verse 29. As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road when they heard that Jesus was coming that way. They began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, We want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. And instantly they could see. Then they followed him. So they were blind men. How were the blind men treated at, blind treated at that time? They couldn't work. It was widely believed that um, their condition was, an was afflicted on them by God because of some sin they'd committed earlier. So a lot of people didn't think much of them if they thought of them at all. About the only thing these men could do is to beg at the town gate. That's where people tended to gather. Travellers passed. Also a good place to hear and news what was happening in other areas. 
So they, these guys were dismissed as unworthy, useless, and probably a burden on society. Well, that'll humble you, won't it? Physically, they were blind, but I'd say mental, um, spiritually, they had pretty, they could see better than most people. These men must have been listening in the synagogue, especially, I suspect, when the rabbi started talking about a, um, a man to come who, would, who could heal blind people. And remember, they did spend their days at the, at the city gate, so when they were there, they would have probably heard reports of a miracle worker from Nazareth who, who also could heal blindness. So maybe they put two and two together and they were waiting for him. What does the scripture have to say to us today? Number one, I think these guys were humble and we need to be humble. Do you feel like you don't have anything to contribute to God? You may be exactly where God wants you to be. And we need to realize that we are blind and we do need help of the Holy Spirit to understand. Number two, and I think this is particularly um, relevant for our farmers here today, they paid attention in church. So, so I think he's telling us, seek the Lord diligently, pursue him, and read the Bible. Three, they declared their faith out loud. Son of David, they shouted. Now that's a very restricted um, messianic term from the Old Testament. Well, their only testament at that time. It's like saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. We've been waiting that we've been waiting a long time for. A lot of Jews would have found that highly offensive. And they would have been, it would have invited persecution on them. And they refused to give up, didn't they? Even when people told them to be quiet. Society is becoming increasingly hostile to people like us. Even, even if we're, just because we say we're a Christian. What if you're being discouraged? Will you give up? What if you get no response from God? Will you keep on praying? Will you continue to cry out to God? Or will you watch him walk by? These guys were not afraid to ask for something big. And Jesus had even bigger things on his mind, didn't he? But he was still prepared to stop everything. He was not too... And for you today, he's not too busy to give you what you need. He wanted them to be specific, though, didn't he? He asked them, what exactly is it you want? When you see two men standing on the side of the road asking for mercy, you would think he would have known what they wanted. And finally, they showed gratitude. They followed him. And I think that's an important principle for us too. When God answers prayers, it's so important to, um, to give him the glory. 
So coming back to the question I started with, <coughs> are we different from the world? Do we come together with a servant heart, looking for ways to serve, looking for ways to serve each other, or do we pe- expect others to serve us? Is church I come to bless others and to exalt God, or is it a place I come to meet people and be entertained? while my children are cared for and taught by others. Well, that's what this scripture makes me ask myself. Am I different from the world? How do I answer? Maybe a little? Maybe there's room for improvement? Definitely, I'm definitely not perfect. But I think perfection is not what God's expecting. Otherwise, there'd be no need to to send Jesus to die for our sins, would there? We're on a narrow path, though, looking to walk closer and closer with the Holy Spirit each day. So when we read about the blind men in this passage, it's not to prove that we can't measure up. We read about them to be encouraged to try one more time So we can ask ourselves, am I humble enough? Can I find time to seek God diligently? And as we go about our daily routine, we will ask more often, is this an opportunity to serve God? Was this a God-given opportunity? And will we be encouraged to take those opportunities to declare our faith out loud will we refuse to give up and will we continue to pray to God with the confidence that he is able are we different to the world alright let's close in prayer shall we dear Lord thank you for your word It is rich and powerful and able to guide us through life. Thank you for the example of Jesus' servant heart. Please help us to have that same heart. Servant heart. And as we go into the world, let these words show us opportunities to stand with you in love. Lord, we pray your blessing over the Jensen family and and Aaron in these days ahead. And we pray that, and, and I pray over the congregation too, in Jesus' name. Amen.